of us have different white noise in our lives. <laughs> Good morning again. Thank you guys for coming again. Uh, before I get started and finish off this series, I do want to remind you guys that we want to uh, make sure that we remember next week is our Four Callaway Christmas offering. You guys, if you've been around for a while, you understand and know what this is all about. But every year, we give as much money away in one offering as we can to local uh, community organizations that are doing a great job of caring for people. And because we believe that God is for our entire county and everybody within that, those uh, county limits that we should be for them. And so this is our big chance to give away as much money as possible. No strings attached. Just show this county that we are for them in a very tangible way. So if you guys will be prepping for that and preparing for that, please get your final gifts uh, figured out this week and figure out how much you're going to be able to bring. I, this is one of my favorite things that we do as a church. I think it's uh, super fun for everybody to come together and see how much we can do. And last week, I think we brought in just under $65,000. So I'm hoping this year we can exceed that and do even more. So you guys be praying about what you're to give. Um, but today, uh, we're going to launch into the last piece of white noise. If you haven't been around, that's okay. I'll catch you a little bit up. But I want to start today with just a reminder to all of us, those of us who have been parents and those of us who haven't been parents, this will be something you can learn from. But just remember this, that any rule you make for your kids... You must follow. Hypocrisy is the great parent killer. I will explain in a story from my own life. Um, so I'm, I, I'm sitting at the, the counter. Um, it's before dinner time should start, but it's kind of after uh, kids have gotten home and kind of homework's done. And so I'm sitting at the counter and I'm just flipping through my phone, looking at Instagram and kind of just, you know, just wasting a little bit of time waiting for whatever it is. And I realize, oh, it actually is time to kind of start dinner and get some things going. And I turn around to the kids as I always do. And guys, screen time's over, guys. Put your screens away. It's time to do something else. Let's move on to a different activity. That's enough time on the screens today. And so I, I notice as I start to kind of finish up what I'm doing that nobody's moved. And I'm like, guys, for real, let's go. Screen time's over, screen time's over, let's go, let's move on to something else. And I get one of these, they start to put their stuff away. And one of my children, I, I'm not going to tell which one, it doesn't matter, but one child goes, but I'm so bored. And I went into dad mode, oh my goodness. I was like, oh, you're bored, are you? And I wasn't angry. It was on those points where I was like, I'm not angry right now, but I'm just like, I deal with this a lot. I deal with this whole, like, I, this is one of my favorite phrases to use with my kids. I am not your cruise director. Like, that's not my job to make sure that you're not bored. It's not my job to program your life out. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not here to make sure that you have plenty of things to, to entertain you. And, but, so I started explaining all the things that this child could engage in. 
Oh, man, I was doing a great job. There are trees outside. You could go investigate. There's rocks in the yard. You could go throw those back in the driveway after you played with them the other day. You could go ride your bike. You could go outside and sit on the porch and just enjoy the warm air. And then it got real crazy. It, oh, those don't sound very fun. I was like, whoa, whoa, we're going, to, we're going to level two then. We're going to level two. Oh, well, let's go up to your room and let's find some stuff that I should throw away then because you're obviously not going to play this, this game right here. We're not going to play this game. I'll just throw it in the trash. How about this, these stuffed animals over here? Nothing to play with here. We'll just, we'll just give those away to Angel's Attic. And I was, man, I was laying on guilt trip, guilt trip, and I was doing a horrible job of being a loving dad, just being a great job of being a, a real, like, rule-setting dad. And I was nailing this child, I mean, over and over and over again. It's like, so what do you want me to do? You want me to get rid of your stuff? And she goes, yeah, but, Dad, you get to use your phone all the time. Oh, well, thanks, kid. Kids nowadays, right? Am I right? Like, the rule I set for my kids, I don't follow. Gosh, thanks, kid. Thanks for teaching me my own lesson. Because I do. Every time I get bored, guess what I get to do? I have my own device in my pocket with me at all times, and I get to flip right through that sucker, even while I'm cooking dinner or listening to my headphones. And they know this. And she nailed me. She got me good. So here's my question for you today that I want you to, this is not a normal topic, but today's question is this. How do you handle boredom? And how does God want you to handle boredom? Boredom's not a common topic in church unless you're talking about the person speaking and how bad it was. And I mean, present company exempted. I get it. I, I know. I'm right. I'm right. But this is not a topic. I mean, how many other things more important than boredom should we be talking about? Like your jealousy and your lust and your anger and your all, all these other things that are really, really bad, right? But boredom, why are we going to spend a whole day talking about boredom? Well, because I think boredom's a big deal in our culture. I think that's why, ultimately, we, we spend so much of our money on stuff in our lives to make sure that we're not bored. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you start adding up how much money you spend not to be bored, that is $12.99 per month on a Netflix subscription. That is $125 a year for your prime membership which gets you prime music and prime video plus that free shipping which in two days means you can get what you wanted so you're not bored you can have it right away you have uh, probably you're paying something for a, another service besides Netflix as well you're either doing a Hulu or some of you have go ahead and direct a dish, dish package I have a dish TV package basic package $25 a month I also pay for a for my phone package, so not only does my phone cost me around $20 a month, but also my, my phone package on that for me and my wife and my parents around it too, you know, that's 150 bucks, let's just say we're sitting in there, so man, we're over 200 bucks just for things that really is used for entertainment, and if you start adding all that up, think about how much money you spend to make sure that you don't have things, that you have things that will keep you from being bored. And then think about the time you spend thinking about getting those things in place so that you're not bored later right? You with me yet? Like, you go online and you start looking for tickets to the next concert, right? And you're doing that while driving on the phone. And think about the hours you spend looking through stuff that you're going to do in the future to keep yourself from being bored. Whew, it is a commitment not to be bored in our culture, right? I mean, you have to really, you have to dig in and get after this. So here's what we've been saying through this whole series, that all, all I want you to, I want, I want you to feel guilty this morning. I just want you to be aware that there is white noise in your life. And here's how we've been saying for the whole series. Our constant access to information, entertainment, and work has disconnected us from ourselves. 
That we, we stop paying attention to white noise. White noise, the sound, and the, like I said before, I sleep to white noise every night because it drowns out the noise of things going on outside and in my own home. And that white noise helps me to, to go to sleep. Here, here's my question. Are you using some things in your life that have become white noise that you've stopped noticing because they help you deal with your boredom and your other emotions? But today we'll focus on your boredom. And it's not the, and you're like, yeah, but what's wrong with boredom's a we always think of boredom's a, a horrible thing. Nobody wants to be bored. Nobody wants to be bored. Here's, here's the definition of boredom that I want you to work with today so you can kind of work through this in your mind and help you get to where we're going today. That boredom is this. Boredom is actually a warning signal to reconnect our daily lives to greater meaning and purpose. Now that doesn't make sense to you right off the bat because you're like, yeah, that's not that's not what boredom is. No, I'm gonna make a case for that today. And here's, here, here's where I want to start this, this discussion. Because if boredom, you, you respond to your boredom, that feeling of boredom, by going to program yourself to do something or to pick something up to entertain you instead of doing something with greater purpose. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need some downtime. I'm not saying you don't need rest. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever watch anything on Netflix and enjoy entertainment. Here's what I'm saying. If every time you feel bored, your instant response is to go entertain yourself, you're using white noise to avoid thinking about reconnecting your daily life to meaning and purpose. If every time boredom shows up, you are actually moving away from thinking about how these things fit into your larger purpose. And if you're doing that, you're using white noise as a way to avoid a feeling that I believe God gave you so he could reconnect with you, and he could reconnect you to a greater purpose in your life. And that's where I want to dig in today. That's where I want to get to, because I believe this is true about you, that we are distracting ourselves from the meaningful life we have always wanted. That we are so, so busy entertaining ourselves with white noise that we have lost the real drive to find the life we've always wanted. And we will sit in the back and complain about how boring and, and meaningless our life is. And we'll turn on whatever it is we're watching. And we'll have forgotten that boredom was a warning signal. And we were supposed to reconnect with something larger. Something greater than ourselves. Something bigger than just a, a TV show or an app or something that's grabbing our attention right now. Something much, much larger. And maybe, 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 maybe we've forgotten that. So here's where I want to go today. We are, I'm going to walk you through a story that is not very commonly talked about. It, it is a story you might have read before, and some of you in this room probably have never heard the story before, but I've got to get you to a point where you can understand the story we're going to start in because I've got to give you the historical context because if I don't give you the context, the story makes no sense. So let me just start by saying we're going to start by looking at a very critical point in Israel's history. Now Israel... Being in, in, have coming out of Egypt, they were slaves for so many hundreds of years. And then Moses, God brought and told Moses to bring them out of Egypt. So they come out of Egypt and they're becoming their own nation. They're becoming their own group of people their own way. And for, for years and years and years and years and years, the people of Israel were led by God himself. Through the desert, as Moses was leading around and they had to stay in the desert for 40 years because one of the generations didn't do what God asked. And so it was kind of a, hey, you're going to have to learn your lesson here. Stay in the desert. And so God is a pillar of fire and smoke. Let them follow him through the desert. 
And then he had promised them a certain set of land. And as they go into that land, they don't, they don't have a king. They're just following God's commands. And it comes through the priests, and sometimes it comes through Joshua or Moses, the different leaders. And, and they hear from God, and God says, hey, go do this, and they go do this. And it's like a step-by-step process of just following God as a nation. Imagine a million people not having a specified leader. Right? So the, the nation of Israel, though, they, they start to see the other nations around them and how they're, they're doing, and they see that they've all got kings. And Israel starts to get jealous because the king is much easier to follow. It's a person I can see. I can't see God. I, I can see a pillar of fire when he shows up as that, but sometimes he doesn't show up as that as all. He comes as a voice here and then this over here, and I just like to have somebody to follow that I can see. And so they get jealous, and they, they ask the, the priest at the time, Samuel, we want to have a king Ask God if we can have a king. And so Samuel goes to talk to God about this whole deal. And, and, and Samuel's saying they want a king. And God goes, did they realize what a king will do to them? Like he will tax them and he will make them work and he will make them build palaces for him. And, and they will become like, like servants to him all the time. They realize that's going to happen. Samuel's like, I, I think so. And God's like, you know what? Give them a king. And so God selects a king named Saul. And Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And Saul is like a specimen, like he's taller than everybody and he's, he's, he's just strong and he just looks like a king and everybody's like so happy. All of Israel gets so happy that they have a king. And, and really cool thing that as soon as Saul kind of takes the kingship and he takes the crown and, and they go through this whole ceremony and make him king of Israel, he wins a, a, a small little battle. There was this like small piece of Israel that had been taken by the Ammonite people and Saul goes in and runs them out, runs the people out of this little area and man, everybody's like celebrating like, yes, our new king, look what he's done, look what he's done. And like, man, it's, it's getting word is spreading quickly through Israel. And then Jonathan Saul's son also wins a victory against some, some Philistines in another area of the border town of Israel. So the, the, whole, the whole, man, for the Philistines were scary, scary people. Now, to win that battle, everybody was like, oh, even Saul's son is getting in on that. I mean, it was like a huge deal, and they're celebrating big. The problem is the Philistine king hears about this and gets a little bit, uh, I don't know, offended by their celebration, and so he bows up on them. He's like, okay, we'll just see how big you are. And he sends thousands of chariots, thousands of soldiers down to the border where they had run him back to, and they're sitting on the border, and all the Israelites are over here, and suddenly everybody, everybody realizes, oh, this is for real. Like the, the Philistines, listen, they didn't allow anybody to have a blacksmith See, the Philistines were so strong, their army was so strong, they held all the blacksmithing technology. And nobody around them can make their own swords. So the Israelites, they're coming to battle. They've won all these battles up to now with farm implements. They're using farm tools to fight. And so the Philistines are like, okay, we're going to flex our muscles here. You don't have any swords. The only people who have swords are Saul and Jonathan, the king and the son. And so just imagine how epic the story is building and the tensions building. And here's Saul, a brand new king. He's had a couple little small victories. And then this big nation is like, okay, we'll, we'll just see what you can do now. Right? Tension's set. Conflict is set. So Saul, wanting to do this right. Listen, think about the pressure that is on Saul at this moment. I've got to get this right. I'm the first king of Israel. I've got to make the right decision here. Do I attack? This big Philistine army, do I, do I go against them? I and mean, we've won a couple of small battles, but that was nothing. Do we do this? Or do we, do we just need to stay put? Because, I mean, seriously, maybe we're just fine right here. And so Saul cries out to Samuel, the prophet who had been leading them and listening to God. And he says, Samuel, what am I supposed to do? And Samuel goes, wait seven days where you are. 
and I will come to you, and we will make a sacrifice, and we will ask God what to do. So seven days. I want you to imagine for seven days. For seven days, we as a country have to wait. There, there are people compounding on, well, the Canadians wouldn't fight us. Okay, well, maybe, maybe somebody comes through Canada, and they line up across our borders, and for seven days, we wait to see what we do. Weapons pointed right at us. Army's ready to run. Everybody's like in tenseness, and for seven days they wait. And Saul gets really, really anxious. In fact, everybody in, in the whole, on, the, on the border towns, they get so scared, they all run off to hide in the hills. They, it, it, it reads earlier in the story, I'm not going to read this part, but it says that people are running to caves and into the hills to hide because, man, it's about to go down, and I don't want to be around. This is getting super tense. And Saul finally, after seven days, waits and waits, and no Samuel. Samuel doesn't show up. And so Saul says, you know what? I'm going to do the sacrifice. I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm not God's priest. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to make the sacrifice and I'm going to find out what God says. And so he does the sacrifice. He does this whole thing himself. And then Samuel shows up and goes, what are you doing? And Saul's like, well, I took over. You weren't here in time and, and I got nervous and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what decision to make. And Samuel's like, well, you made the biggest mistake already now. And then Samuel leaves. No, no word from God, nothing. I mean, it, it, Saul's just like in limbo here and nothing, no, no guidance on what to do. And he, does, he just confuses all get out. And so he just decides to sit and wait. And he just decides to go, well, well I, I don't know what to do, so I, I'm just going to stall here. And as you're going to see in a minute, boredom has set in in this story. And here's what I want you to look at. As you look at what boredom has done to this group of people, there's one guy. There's one guy who stands up and decides to have faith and look for greater, greater meaning and purpose in the middle of that boredom. And it was Saul's own son, Jonathan. You guys read with me as this story starts. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So here's one guy, Jonathan, who's sitting around waiting for something to happen, waiting for some word, and everybody's waiting and in pause mode, and as you'll see, they're just bored to death, and here's Jonathan going, man, I just can't sit here and do nothing. I can't just sit here. Hey, armor bearer, I know you're young and you don't really have any weapons. You're really just supposed to carry my armor, but hey, why don't you come with me? Let's walk over to the Philistine outpost. Genius idea, Jonathan. Let's just walk over. That's not, that's not asking for trouble. Gosh, idiot. Here's what Saul's doing. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migrant. And I just, I keep picturing movies of kings who are being fed grapes and palm fronds waving them under a pomegranate tree. This was the, the king, the new king has found a really comfortable spot. He's like, okay, well, you know what? We start, we won a couple battles, but there's no, they're not attacking us. We waited a week. The Philistines said, they must not seem to, you know, the best thing for us to do, ah, let's just hang out. I'm the king. Bring me some grapes. Let's start that whole business. Like, I'm going to sit on the pomegranate tree and just chill. And, and who's chilling with him? With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was, I don't know if I said that right, but I want to say it again. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. I don't really know what an ephod is either. We'll get in that. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. I don't know, if, I don't know what this is. Son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one is aware that Jonathan had left. Listen, all those people to say this. Eli was the one name I remember. Because I read a story about Eli. It was earlier on. Eli used to be the priest 
who spoke directly to God. And so Saul and his company has 600 fighting men, and he has Eli's great-grandson who is wearing an ephod. An ephod is like this priestly garment and robe that was one of the things that the priests wore when they went to war, and it was supposed to help bring God's presence along with them into war. And so Saul has all the people, he has all the important spiritual guides, and he has all the important spiritual elements that are supposed to be going, and he is sitting still under a tree. And he doesn't even know his own son has left. Let me tell you, I've been sitting before with my children around, and my wife has gone, hey, where are the kids? Oh, they're, they're sitting right over there. No, they're not. Oh, you ever done that? You've been so, so engrossed in your, in, in your own entertainment that you forget that you have people in the room with you, and then when they get up and leave, you don't even notice. Like Saul is right in the middle of this whole boredom thing completely bored out of his gourd, as they say, right? And in this moment, Jonathan's left. So what's Jonathan up to? Why would you go to the outpost? Let's continue our story. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinna. Now I looked up these words because I, I got really interested in the geography of this. Bozes and Sinna, this, this was kind of like... Bozes means mud, and Sinna means thorns. So you've got Bozes on one side of this pass, and you've got thorns on the other. The only way to cross is you've got to go through mud and thorns. Hey, hey, armor bearer, let's take a little jaunt over to, well, the enemy's territory where there are none of our other men, and let's just walk through these mud and thorns on our way. Sounds like fun to me, right? Isn't this a great metaphor for how we often think about what it takes to take a step of faith? See, see, we get set and bored in our ways and we're like, oh, to get over there, I'd have to walk through mud and thorns. I don't want to do that. I'm not going all the way over there and through all that just to kind of see if that's something bigger and better over there. I'm just, oh, just stay put. It'll be easier just to stay here. Isn't this a great metaphor? This is amazing. And look, look at the rest of the geography. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. And so it's like, you just have to walk down through Israelite territory and Philistine territory to get to this outpost where these Philistine army is kind of set up and ready to attack if they need to be. And to get there, you've got to walk through all this stuff. So what, the path that Jonathan's taking, it's not he's sneaking through the backwoods to get in to just see what's going on. He's literally just walking straight toward the outpost. This is really interesting. And some of us, you think about your life, you think about when boredom hits, Oh, cancel Netflix. What would I do then? Like, it beca- like you ever thought about that? Like, I've talked about it with, with my wife before. I'm like, you think we should cancel Netflix? She's like, yeah, but what would our kids do? I mean, I'm not saying it's bad to have it. I'm just saying it, it's kind of like hard to think past that first step, isn't it? I wonder if Jonathan has thought, thought past this first step. I wonder if Jonathan has a plan. Let's, let's, let's keep reading. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. That is not a fun word to hear. I'm armor bearer. I'm like, you don't know what you're doing? Uh, perhaps ain't good enough, buddy. Like, do you, have you heard a word from the Lord? Do you know you're supposed to go yet? Do you know you're supposed to? No, I don't really know 
What are we doing walking out in the middle of nowhere, man? We're going through muds and thorns to walk over there. We don't even know if anybody's over there. God hasn't called you to go do this. Well, perhaps. What? Are you insane? Jonathan, I know you have a sword. I'm carrying your armor. That's, that's it. That's all I do. Man, the armor bearer is actually the real hero of the story. I just want to tell you that when I think about who I would be in the middle of the story, I would be the armor bearer. I'm the armor bearer going along with Jonathan be like, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. But watch what, watch what happens. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan tells the armor bearer, you realize, you realize it doesn't matter how many of us go. All that matters is that if the Lord shows up, it doesn't matter if it's two of us or 2,000 or 2 million, we can win this. We can do this. And the armor bearer, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. All you had to say, Jonathan, is that the Lord might be with us. The Lord might be with us. Let me challenge you for a second. See, I believe a lot of you are waiting to be called by God. Like you're expecting some lightning flash or you're expecting something to flash up on the screens right now that says, hey, go volunteer. Hey, go give more money. Hey, go care for your neighbor. Hey, go love. Go give. Go serve. And guess what? Sometimes God is waiting for you to volunteer. And then he'll show up. It happened to Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, Jesus was walking on water. And Peter goes, can I come out there too? And he starts to step up and Jesus said, come on, walk on the water. And guess what? Jesus met Peter in the water. Jesus didn't call to Peter and say, hey, why don't you come out? And Peter didn't go, well, I don't know, I'll think about it a second. Peter asked to go. Jonathan and the armor bearer, they don't know for sure if God is showing up. They don't know for sure what's on the other side. They just decide that it's better to go than to sit and stay. This is huge, right? Once you think about how this impacts the way you think about your boredom. As you sit some days and wonder, I wonder what I should do with my free time. I know I'll hit another three episodes of Stranger Things before I have to go to bed. That's three hours of your week. What if? What if? You took a little bit of time. Not even the whole three hours. Just a little bit of that time. To think about how your life could be part of a bigger story than what you watched on Netflix this weekend. Watch this. So Jonathan said, well, come on then. We will cross toward them and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. Oh, great. So you'll get halfway through the mud and thorns, and if they say, hey, just stay there, we'll come down to you, you're going to just stay there and let them take you. That's really interesting, Jonathan. Great plan. What's the other half of the story? But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Oh, man. But if we start climbing, armor bearer, We'd start climbing up and they're like, yeah, come on up, come on up. We'll know. We'll know that's, that's the cue. That's the sign that God will give them a sender. And so, so look, look how Jonathan is just thinking about step by step. 
Okay, we're out on the road. Well, here's what we're going to do next. Well, here's my next step. Let's see if this works. Hey, here's my next step. Let's see if this works. And what's the worst that happened? It's just two of us. It's just the two of us. What's the worst that could happen? Well, we could die, Jonathan. I know. But what if? But what if God shows up and he delivers them into our hands? What, what if we get over there and they say, come on up, and, and we take them out? We take the whole outpost. What, what then? Oh, that might be pretty cool. See, see, right now, Jonathan's just thinking, like, right now, it's just about me and the armor bearer. Just doing the next thing I know to do, the next thing I see as an opportunity, the next thing. Because here's what I know. God is with us. He may not give us a victory, but I know he's with us. And maybe, just maybe, he'll show up in a way that I don't even expect. Maybe we'll get to take the outpost, just me and you, man. Maybe we'll get to do that. Watch what happens. You, you pumped yet? Are you pumped about getting what's the... <laughs> We use our boredom as a way to excuse our inactivity and lack of creativity. I know you want to see what happens in the story, but hold on a second. We use boredom as a way to excuse our inactivity and our lack of creativity. How many of you are bored in your life at work? How many, how many of you are bored and you say all the time, man, my work, gosh, it's so repetitive. I do the same thing all the time. I work with the same people. Man, I, you know, I just need a new, I need something new. I need a new job. How many of you are stuck in a relationship that feels boring? Man, I just, I just, I just know it's gotten stale. There's, no, there's nothing here. I'm just, bo- I'm just bored with her. I'm bored with him. I'm, bo- I'm bored with this whole life that we have. I'm just bored with what's going on. How many of you students are, are in school and you're like, man, the class, every class I go to, man, all it is is talk, talk. It's just so, it's just so boring. I mean, good grief. There, nothing's going on. There's nothing even to learn in this class. I don't really do anything. I just, I write papers and it's just, it's just boring. Man, what am I going to do this weekend? I don't have anything to do. Nobody, and all the other friends on Instagram, they got great things to do. They're going here and they're doing, I don't have anything to do with my life. I got nothing to do. I'm just, man, I'm just bored. Let me ask you something. Isn't that a clue to you to reconnect with something larger? What if your job didn't have to be boring because you saw as an opportunity? Everybody thinks this job is boring. How could I help make this job not so boring? How could I care for these people around me in a way that just show that I'm not, I, I, yeah, the, the, maybe the repetitiveness is boring, but I care for you and I love you and, and I like being here with you guys because this is what we've got to do right now. This is our job. And what if the people you worked with saw how much you cared for what you were doing, for the people around you, and it changed their perspective on what their job looked like, or maybe in your, in your relationship that's getting boring? What if you got creative what if you started? Have, what if you took some time and you took ah, instead of three episodes of time, I'm just going to watch one. I'll take an extra couple hours to sit down and think about, man, how, what can we do next week that would make this conversation go better? Or maybe, maybe what can I do next week that would maybe give us a, a chance to just go out and do something fun? Or what, what would it take for us to? Maybe you need to spend some time planning and creating something to do with your kids or with your wife or with your husband or with your boyfriend and girlfriend and grandkids, whatever. Maybe your creativity is stuck. Students. My goodness, do you realize what you're saying about being bored in college? Do you understand that there are parents with three and four kids who would love to give up their schedule for yours just one day of the week? Are you kidding me? Don't act like you're bored. 
You are, you are learning something that you can apply to a future job, whether it's in your area or not. You are thinking through things that you've, you've exploded in your mind. What if you bring more energy to the class? What if you ask more questions? What if you do extra reading? What if you bring something to bear that means something to the people around you in that class? See, I think we are too comfortable letting boredom guide us into entertainment rather than purpose. If I'm bored, I'd rather find something to do than to go do something. I just want something to do. I don't want to go do anything. I don't want to change the way I think. I don't want to change what I do. I don't want to change how I spend my time or my money. I just want to, oh man, I just, boredom's fine. Let me ask you this question though. Can anything be so boring that God cannot bring it to life? See, if you're a believer here this morning, if you believe that Jesus died and came back to life, don't you believe in a God who has the power to make a boring work lively, to make a dead relationship alive, to make a boring class exciting because He's there? The guy who thought up all the things in this universe with His creativity and then he made you in his image and gave you the opportunity to create inside this world that he created for you? What if? What if you're using boredom as an excuse? What if the reason you don't want to go forward is because all you can see is mud and thorns and you don't see that perhaps on the other side God may meet you there? And isn't that what you want anyway? And listen, if you're not a believer here this morning, if this is like new for you, let me, just, let me just pause here in a second and talk to you. Listen, your life may be boring, but here's what I know about a life of faith. When you apply your faith to someone who can be trusted like God, there is nothing in this life that becomes boring. Everything can have meaning and purpose and everything in your life that you, that you look at and you go, man, this is horrible and this is bad and this is tough and this is a challenge. I've had those too. And almost every single time, God has had a reason for me to go through and to learn and to use that to help someone else through it. So let's see how our story ends up with Jonathan. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. You're jeering at them and making fun of them. You Philistine, right? Jonathan and Armour Bear. You could just feel them getting angry and angrier, climbing up there, just being like, oh, yeah, okay, we've been, we've been hiding in the holes. Okay, you just wait, right? Then the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. Oh, my goodness. Do y'all see what happened? Y'all see what? So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Like Jonathan now sees it. He's like, oh, oh my goodness. You remember what I said? I, like, I said, maybe, like, perhaps God will meet us. And if they say, come up to us and meet us, then we'll, we'll go up and they'll have it. Oh, man, 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 this is the moment. God, I think God is meeting us here. You, Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Listen, have you ever been climbing? You ever been climbing before? Have like you ever been on a hike? And you know, you're hiking up, 
And you get to that point where you're like, it's hands and feet time. It's hands and feet time, right? And you're getting after it. You're climbing hands and feet as fast as you can to get to the next plateau and you're going after it. You imagine how tired these guys are going to be. And don't forget, they're climbing through muds and thorns. Muds, mud on one side, thorns on the other. Climb, climb, keep climbing. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's hard. But man, what an exciting climb to get to the point where God's going to meet us on the top of this thing. Man, these guys are ours. They're ours. There's something amazing about following in faith and hearing God meet you in a place that you didn't think was possible. And Jonathan and the armor bearer are just in the middle of this whole thing. Just two of them with one sword. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine in your own life if you started taking steps of faith through your own mud and thorns, yeah, but that's going to be so difficult. I know, but what if God meets you in the middle of that? Doing my finances to make sure I can, I can keep giving away money and more in each year and trying to figure out how to do that and give some of the four Callaway offering and, and then rearrange my whole finances so I can do, do all this. I, what if, though? What if he meets you on the other side of your budget? <laughs> right? Through the mud and the thorns, what if he meets you over there? What if in your relationships, it's going to be so hard to keep building a relationship with my son once he goes off to college. It's going to be so difficult. I don't even know how to approach him anymore. He's just kind of his own guy and he he wants to be away from me. But what if, what if through the mud and the thorns, God meets you on their side and you keep going, you keep trying, you keep calling, you keep texting? What if? What if there's faith to be had in all the middle of that? I I just wonder if Jonathan Armabera knew how big this was in the moment. Or if only in looking back they understood it. That they were about to deliver <laughs> the Philistines into the hand of, of Israel. Not just their hands, but all of Israel. Watch how this falls out. And when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. See, here's what happened. I skipped a few verses. But they start coming out of their holes and their hiding places because King Saul sees all the commotion across the way and he starts to do roll call. Hey, what's going, what's going on over there? Who's, who's over there? Hey, do roll call real quick. Roll call. 600 men. Wait, 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 wait. Well, it's Jonathan, your son. He's the only one missing. What? Oh, and his armor bearer. What? Oh, gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're, they're out there in the outpost. I want to go save Jonathan, but, man, what if we make the wrong decision here? So you know what he does? He calls together all the priests again. He said, well, let's, let's, let's all pray and put a, put, put a bull on the fire and, and real quick. And they start doing all this stuff, and suddenly Saul realizes that Jonathan and the armor bearer, two people have taken out 20 at the outpost, and they're continuing on. And Saul finally goes, you know what, just forget it. Drop all this stuff. God must be with them. Let's go. And Saul follows with his forces. And they run Philistines out of that, out of that outpost. And they chase them all day long out of that area. And all of Israel. Listen, on that day, the Lord saved Israel. And the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. You guys realize what the simple faith, the simple step of Jonathan in the midst of this boring, boring moment when everybody else was willing to sit and stare. One simple step of faith. 
changed the entire outlook of Israel. So let me ask you, let me challenge you. Will you be creative this week? Will you stop letting boredom force you into this little bubble of entertainment? And would you just take a slice of your time and a slice of your energy and a slice of your creativity that has come from your Heavenly Father and will you use it for a larger purpose? Will you step out in faith and do something that you don't know for sure if God will meet you and even wants you to do it, but will you go love somebody that looks like they need to be loved? Will you go give to somebody who needs something from you? Will you do it? Because what might hang in the balance is the entire group of people that are around you, your family, your friends may see that and go, yes, let's go do that together. It may be that everybody's waiting on you. And I believe God made you creative and gave you gifts and gave you, gave you abilities that you should not hide away in your white noise. That you shouldn't be stuck in your bubble of white noise, perfectly safe and sound, but stepping out in faith through the mud and the thorns of your life and experiencing God in a way that you've never known was possible. What if? What if you did that simple little thing? Guys, it will change your outlook on who you are. It will change your outlook on what kind of God you serve. It will change your outlook on what your life could look like if you would just take that simple step this week. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this story that shows us a couple of people who are passionate and able to break out of a mold that had been made for them. Instead of staying in that spot, God, they, they ventured out in faith. And God, I pray that we would be a people who would step out in faith and what you could do if you met us there. God, we don't know 100% all the time if we should do this or have this conversation or go serve or go give, but God, help us even with the fraction of faith we have to move forward. And God, I pray for the people in this room who are going to test you in this, God, that you would show up, that you would meet them, and you would keep calling them for them step by step. In your son's name I pray it. Amen.